Hello everyone, Trish Guys here, divorce and pre-mediation coach. Welcome to Shit I Learned from My Divorce, a show where I share with you the good, the bad, and the ugly of what I learned from my divorce. 12 years of trying to live my life while my former partner was trying to destroy it. Trish Guys is not a legal professional, nor a licensed mental health professional. The information she provides is not intended to be legal advice and is intended only for informational and entertainment purposes. Some of the topics on the show may be triggering for some, so please use caution and your own discretion. Topics discussed on the show may not be suitable for young children. I do this show for a couple of very important reasons. The first one being that I feel we need to normalize the behaviors and the craziness that occur during a separation and divorce. It's helpful for both the people going through a divorce and those around them to understand what to expect and how to handle it. Going through a divorce is like nothing else that you will ever experience in life. Number two, I want to prompt you to start thinking about things in a different manner so you don't have to make the same mistakes I did. I also hope to fill some of the knowledge gaps you may have and provide you with some ideas or solutions for what is troubling you at the moment. And most importantly, I would love for you to walk away from each episode just a little bit stronger, feeling a bit more validated and a little more settled because you have a bit of knowledge in your toolkit. So I recommend after listening to each episode, take a few minutes and think about what you've heard. What resonated with you? Do some things seem a bit more clear to you now? Or do you need to do a bit more digging? The whole purpose of my show is to get you to see things perhaps in a different light or for you to slow down or step back a little bit and make sure that you're clear about what you're doing, but more importantly, why you're doing it as opposed to reacting. Okay, with that in mind, let's get on with the show. Today, we are talking about co-parenting, the good, the bad, and the really bad. And I have a special guest joining me today, my trusted colleague, Glenda Lux, who is a registered psychologist in Calgary. She's been practicing at the intersection of psychology and family law since 2001. Glenda has conducted over 100 court-ordered evaluations, such as Practice Note 7 and Practice Note 8, as they are called in Alberta. And Glenda also provides divorce-related forensic services, including parent coordination, co-parent counseling, parental fitness evaluations, and litigation support. Glenda has been qualified as a parenting expert in both provincial court and the Court of Queen's Bench. Glenda has published several peer-reviewed articles in this area and most recently on coercive control and its relevance to families and children and best interest determinations in Canadian family law. Glenda has completed comprehensive training with the National Council of Juvenile and Family Court Judges, Association of Family and Conciliation Courts, and Battered Women's Justice Project on Assessing Domestic Violence in Families. Glenda has provided training to family lawyers on domestic violence and has presented at national and international conferences. She also maintains an active blog on several areas relating to co-parenting and family law and parenting issues. Welcome, Glenda. It's a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thank you, Trish. It is always lovely to talk to you. If we could talk a little bit about, about the kids for a second, because I imagine you, you well, you, you see a lot of kids, I imagine, but you also, you understand the dynamics and what the effects are for children. So in situations like this where parents are, let's say the bad and the really bad that we're talking about, what is that experience like for kids and, and how does that affect them? And what, what should parents be aware of in terms of what this is doing to their children? You know, we know that 
the biggest predictor of adjustment problems with kids now and in the future has to do with the degree to which they feel caught in the middle between the co-parenting of their of their parents so and the differences between their parents which is why when i say to not comment on another parent's parents rules but other but rather you know you know invite the child to ask mom what that rule is all about for her mm-hmm. rather than to suggest that mom's rule is really rotten and no wonder you don't like it over there you poor poor dear right mm-hmm. don't you wish your mother was more um like me or don't you wish you know this is toxic 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 right that competition that negative messaging about a parent absolutely toxic for kids and it impacts them all differently depending what age group they're in but it is it is so hard kids love both their parents generally speaking i mean they have different relationships i mean they love their parents yes we have different relationships with our parents it is not People say, well, they have parents, your relationship is the same between whatever. That's not necessarily the case. We have differential attachments and we have um, different relationships. My brother is never going to be the the same as my sister and my sister is never going to be the same as my brother. And there's reasons for that. And, And none is bad, none is good. I just have different relationships with each of them. And that is the same as a child. They have different relationships. And so to be able to accept that and allow that is really important and allow the child to to have their different relationships, right? So one parent's strength might be the other parent's uh, challenge. That's okay. It's not necessarily deficit. I love that. I mean, you talked about that, right? Your experience. Yeah. Listeners, if you take nothing else from today's talk, I think that is key that we focus so much on the differences and how that's bad. The world would be a boring, very uneventful, very lack of innovation type of world if we had everyone being the same. Homogeneity is not something we should all be striving for necessarily, right? And I think that we need to look at it. The difference isn't bad. That there's, at least in my experience, you know, even, you know, prior to separation and also growing up, I I think a lot about what my situation was like growing up when I try to put myself in the kids' shoes. And I loved the fact that my mom and dad were different. You can count on my dad to get away with things, right? With my mom, she's a bit more strict, thank God. Because if both of my parents were like my dad, I'd probably be in jail right now. And if both parents were like my mom, I'd be a nervous wreck, maybe because it'd be so, so strict. But they balance each other out so nicely. And I feel like when after we separate and divorce, we are then thrust into a scenario where everyone has to be everything. And then we're wading into areas where we don't feel comfortable and we haven't done this before. And then one parent is criticizing the other for for this. And instead of looking at it, like you said, that you know, balancing the strengths and weaknesses, we should be looking for those areas. And that's okay. Just because it's a weakness of yours does not make you a poor parent. And also to not jump on that as a, uh, as a discussion point or as a critical point or an area to criticize that kids need different relationships. Like you mentioned with the sisters and brothers. And I, I, I love that. I love the fact that we should be looking at it that way. And I think the more we have that perspective, the better chances we may have of co-parenting a little bit more effectively. And, you know, Trish, like, like to be fair, there are really lousy parents out there. Mm-hmm. And so you might be co-parenting with a really lousy parent who has 
you know, the, the emotional intelligence of a rock who, um, you know, is, is out of attunement with their child, who's insensitive mm-hmm. and overbearing and creates anxiety. Like, like that exists, right? So yeah. to, to take a, a parent's concerns when their child is really struggling in their co-parent's home and to whitewash them, I, 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 I mean, there's a balance here, right? Between being able to stay open-minded to differences and to really understand when things are not going well and when you are co-parenting with a lousy parent. And so what tends to happen is that the child will come back to the parent that they are more in attunement with and more, who's more sensitive and say, hey, this is this is happening and I can't, I can't tell mom she'll get mad at me or I can't talk to mm-hmm. her, I can't talk to him and this feels unfair. So there are challenges, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you do... Uh, you may need the voice of a professional at the table, right? To say, hey, mm-hmm. here's some ideas about what could make this better or to work with not just a co-parenting relationship, but to impart some information about child development and, and parenting because yes, it is the reality. Not everyone's a great parent. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head too, in terms of, you know, sometimes you can't do it all. I think honestly, in a perfect world, I would love for everyone to be able to have a co-parenting coach, whether you're an intact family or not. I mean, who wouldn't want to have a coach on your side to say, Hey, hey, you know, let's, let's try it differently this way. I think that would be a beautiful thing, but um, sometimes you need that to not all of us are cognizant of how our behavior affects others, obviously. And especially our children, I think that's vital to have and, and to, also, I know there's a lot of people who, when you talk about the lousy parent, when you're the other side of it, you're not the lousy parent, it can get, get, get very exasperating trying to figure out how do I deal with this? So, you know, when you're talking, I'm thinking of instance where you, your child is really struggling and you try talking to the, uh, the other parent and it doesn't work. And also it tends to backfire onto the child and the child stops, stops talking. Whereas in some situations, not all, where the other parent is not going to listen to the other co-parent, but they may be more apt to listen to a professional. I find sometimes that works too. And you can kind of take it out of the adversarial relationship. So coming to someone like yourself, uh, someone that is an external party, but is not biased towards either parent. You're really, you're there for the child and to help everyone help the child. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So on that vein, what I want to talk a little bit more about kids uh, and what they really need from their parents, whether they're divorced or not. So, you know, in an ideal world, uh, we won't talk about that because nothing is ideal. But even despite the co-parenting difficulties, at the end of the day, what, what does it look like? What do kids really need from their parents? Because I, I feel like sometimes as parents, we have a different idea in our heads as to what kids really need. We see it all the time in terms of guilt gifts and things like that. But more importantly, in terms of their time, their um, whether it's quality or quantity, whether they need parents to cooperate, anything like that, that kids truly need for their own mental health, and their feeling of stability and comfort and safety? That's a big question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We have all days. So, So, you know, I, I think the number one parenting tool, number one, if you only had one thing in your arsenal as a parent, choose calm. Mm -hmm. It is the most powerful parenting tool you will ever have because calm models 
regulation. Our job is to help our children co-regulate, meaning when they're on fire emotionally and losing it, we need to bring calm to that storm, not more wind, right? right. And how often do you see, you know, your two-year-old's having a temper tantrum and, and we, we get mad at that as opposed yes. to recognizing, wow, I can see you're struggling, right? Some validation. Now, and there's all sorts of great information on how to do this because it's not about being a pushover parent. It's not about hmm. letting it happen, so to speak, right? You can be assertive, but bring bring calm, right? When your teenager slams the door, hmm. you don't need to march in there and have a have it out with them. That is the last thing you want to do. No one is receptive when they're on fire emotionally. No one, right? Nothing good right. is going to come out of that right? Use your calm, breathe. So I mean, we could talk all day about yeah. parenting um, and, and these kinds of things. But, you know, if I had to pick out the, the gems, calm, be a listener. Even if you have nothing to add, and even if you choose to add nothing, reflect, listen, tell me more about that. That must have been tough for you. What did you think about that? How did you manage that? What are your ideas about that? Again, just having curious conversations with your kids, regardless of what age they are. Gather information. Nothing feels more validating than, than to be heard, than to have someone be curious about your life. It tells you you're valued. It tells you you're loved. It tells you they care about you, even if you have nothing to offer in return, in terms of a nugget of wisdom or what have you. Sometimes you don't need to. So so listening is um, listening with curiosity, calm. I think time engaged in activities, not um, like being able to have that time without them competing with the, with the phone, without them mm-hmm. competing with the computer. Special time, right? They need that. They, they need some choice. Just like everyone, we need control in our lives. They need choice around things. I think those are the big ones. And, we're, and I'm not necessarily talking about co-parenting. I'm just talking about parenting. And I think sometimes if you are in one of those really bad and badder co-parenting mm-hmm. situations, that the focus needs to be on what's happening in your home. Because the safer, the kinder, the more attuned, the, the, the better quality parenting that you can bring in your home is really the best thing you can do because you can't control what's happening in the other home. That that is so true. And that's something that I had to learn early on. And that I think everybody should learn in life period is uh, learning to focus on what you can control, what you can control, which sometimes is very little in life, but that uh, stop trying to control other elements. And I find that creates, at least for me, it used to create so much anxiety. And, you know, the, the sense of calm that you're talking about, I think I agree with you. Number one, parenting or life tool, frankly. It's a funny story that when the kids and, and my uh, current husband and I were in Hawaii years ago, we were going up, I can't remember what it is, but you know, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, in uh, Maui. And you can go, everyone goes just before sunset uh, to see the sunset. It's up a volcanic mountain. And it is a treacherous drive. Yes, thank you, Haleakala. It was, I'm terrified of frights. I'm terrified of heights. But I was even more terrified on the side that on the passenger side, there was that sheer cliff drop as we're driving up. And I was just petrified. And we had the kids sitting in the back. My husband, Barry, was driving. And of course, I was just like freaking out. And I turned to the kids and are you guys, aren't you guys scared? And my daughter said, no. 
if Barry's not scared, then I'm not scared. And I thought, you're so right. That's how I feel too in certain situations. When I look to my husband and he's calm, I think, okay, I'm calm. You know, and that there's a sense of, even though I'm still feeling all those feelings, I can understand why kids, you know, if, if they need someone to, to ground them. And I think that's so key. They don't need somebody to amp it up. And, and then the, the aspect of listening is something I had to learn early on too. I was like many other parents where kids would mention something and I'd jump in with a solution when there wasn't a solution necessary or a, a judgment of some kind or my opinion instead of just like what you said, being curious and finding out what their perspective is on that instead of jumping in and giving my perspective. That was uh, such a key turning point for me years and years ago. And I agree with you like that's so impactful for kids, for adults too, that people care enough instead of, I used to have somebody I used to a long, long time ago was uh, an old neighbor, lovely woman, but she would ask questions about, so what are your kids doing these days? And the minute I'd start talking, she'd say, yeah. So anyway, about my kids, and I thought, geez, you know, and so I quickly learned that that what that was just a precursor to her jumping in, you know. But if then others, they truly are interested, and you know, that can make you feel, that can make your day, that can really change the trajectory of things. And I think those are those are such impactful tools for everybody, but particularly for kids. You know, like kids sometimes aren't that different from adults. Like I try and get people to say, like, what would that feel like as an adult, right? And a lot of the, what these kids go through. You know, at my advanced age, there's no way I'd want to go through it either. So we have to keep in mind, and these guys are little and they don't have the experience that we have. So those are great tools, everybody. Those are some other gems that you want to take uh, take home with you. What about therapy and in terms of, is it is it, a, is it a good idea for children, regardless of the amount of animosity between the parents? Should they all be attending therapy, uh, even if the divorce is amicable? Is it a good idea? Does it depend on the age? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, good question. All kids are different. I think it depends a great deal on the temperament of the child. So I think there's a lot of factors that would impact the decision to offer your child some therapeutic support during this time. It may be that they're, um, you know, doing okay, right? Meaning they've got good, healthy relationships with lots of open communication between each parent. The parents aren't in conflict. You know, it, it may be that they are doing okay and they're weathering this storm. It may be that they need, you know, would want an invitation to go to a support group, right? There's certain, you know, groups where you can go with kids your own age just to talk about what is divorce and what was it like for you when your parents divorced and what's happening. And it might be that kind of a support. Maybe they do need to chat with a, a therapist, right? And if you don't know, you can always take them to, to kind of have a exploration session with, with a therapist to sort of see yeah. how they're doing and get a sense of that and get some feedback from a psychologist that would say, you know, I think they are struggling in this area. Or, hey, maybe you guys want to meet with a co-parenting coach, right? To see if you can um, reduce some of the tension that's going on or that they, they're feeling. So it's really not a, a 100% of the time kids need to have support. But I don't think that it's error to offer them an opportunity mm-hmm. to monitor them because sometimes they may look like they're doing okay now and, and not down the road, right? It can change. It can shift. There's many things that can impact it. 
Exactly. Yeah, it's a good point. And, you know, and, and it's so different these days, there isn't a stigma attached, like it was years ago, perhaps for our parents. And, you know, a lot of kids, and it, it, it's, it's a great opportunity for them in some cases too to be able to vent or talk about or make sense of their feelings and not have to worry about whether mom or dad is going to know certain things. It's just a safe place because uh, I, I I don't know of many kids and I you know I haven't this isn't a scientific research study that I've done but I don't know how many of them actually talk to their friends about this. I know my kids didn't. I know for the longest time when I first first separated, I didn't, I felt like I was the only one that was separated, which wasn't true. And the kids felt that way too. And you don't really go around saying, you know, are your parents separated? Are your parents separated? And so there's not a lot of opportunity for them. And I think sometimes too, they just, when they're with their friends, they just want to be kids and forget about all that. So yeah, in some cases, yeah, it's not for everybody and may not they may not have to do it forever, but uh, you know, at least in my case, I found in some other people's that I know it was just snippets of time, depending on what was going on. Sometimes it was divorce related. Sometimes it wasn't right. Mm -hmm. We all need support from time to time. It's not a bad thing. I think just parents, sometimes I feel like um, there's a concern that maybe there's going to be some gathering information against the other parent and, and a little bit of the paranoia there. And in some cases that may be the case, but you know, I know there's provisions for that too. It's a matter of how it's communicated and the psychologist, unless they are, you can speak more to this, unless they are, are tasked with or ordered to do an evaluation. It's not meant to be an evaluation. It's meant to be therapy for the child. Do you want to touch base on that a little bit about the confidentiality and how safe it would be for a child to have therapy and that it's not really a fact-finding or a fault-finding mission? Uh, you know, I did, boy, we could talk all day about this too. <laughs> so I I come from the position that it is really, really important for kids to have a safe place and for therapy not to be brought into the courtroom, not to be brought into legal documents and not to be weaponized. Mm -hmm. Now, psychologists have an obligation to share information with parents about the child's therapy, but it can be done in such a way where you are talking about themes. You can write mm -hmm. an email to the parents at the end of the session and say, hey, today we processed the theme of peers or we, you know, hmm. this is, we generally spoke about peers today. We spoke about divorce today. We spoke about, or, or the theme for today was coping tools, right? Something a little bit vague, right? Because if, it, if hmm. it's not, if it's not something dangerous that the parents, you know, that the child's doing that the parents need to know, you really want to be careful about this because you want to maintain that therapeutic relationship with the child and you don't know how how a parent is in in the home you don't know whether a parent uses information to wound a child you don't know how safe that child feels having their um innermost thoughts provided to those and and really i think it's really important to have this conversation with with a therapist when you are asking them to see your child mm -hmm. what will you share how will you share it because Boy, I've seen it over and over again, and I've seen opinions into the courtroom uh, that just have no business being there in terms of you don't know what's going on in this family. All you know is this little kid who's telling you this, is telling you that. You don't know what's influencing this child's voice, right? right. You are there to help this child express their feelings, learn some coping skills. You are not there to be a tool in the litigation and lots to talk about here. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. So we'll have to have a part two or part three, probably up to part 10. So she might even become a recurring guest. Who knows, right? So, you know, and 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 you're right. I think we've touched on so many things that they're just, a, this is a launching pad for so many other topics that we'll have to, you and I will have to chat, chat about. Is 
you know, we're about to wrap up. Is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners that we haven't touched on or, or if you want to delve a little bit deeper in before we say your goodbyes? Oh, well, you know, Trish, uh, every time we get together, we can just talk forever um, <laughs> about this stuff. So I could probably uh, go on and go on and go on about things. But, you know, I think you know, today we, we did definitely talk about a lot of different things and touched on things. But I, I'm left with the that word calm right? mm-hmm. <laughs> in your co-parenting relationship and how you reach out to your co-parent. Call your friend, vent before you send that email, there should be cyber hold, right? Where yes. co-parents, it goes into cyber hold, until you, <laughs> you know, uh, before you actually send it on. So yes. approaching, approaching um, your kids with calm, approaching conversations with calm. And when the kid comes home and says, you know, mom, you know, dad let us stay up till one o'clock and he's got a new girlfriend and yada, yada, yada. You gotta be calm. Well, you don't have mm. to be, but if you're not, you are going to fire things up unnecessarily. Calm. I think that's 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 the word I, I would like to leave listeners with. Yes, I agree. I think that's a great way to, to end. If in every situation, staying calm because, you know, eventually it'll get worked out, even if it's not the way you want, but there's no point having all that cortisol running through your veins. So calm. I think, uh, I think that's so many things that we've, we've talked about today and so many great points and gems that people can walk away with. And definitely Glenda will have to have you back to talk more about some of these issues, but also there's so many other issues we can delve into. And it was absolutely a pleasure to have you on. And thank you so much for enlightening us about co-parenting and all the different uh, elements of it. And like I said, we'll have to revisit some of these points. And especially when uh, we have listeners coming in with questions, we might do a question and answer. We'll just see how things go and see what we can plan for the future. But thank you again for for spending the time and sharing all of your expertise. And uh, I'm looking forward to having you on again. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure chatting with you today and I'd be happy to chat anytime. Excellent. So Glenda, what is the best way for people to connect with you? You can get a hold of me by going to my website, www.luxpsychology.ca and you can message me through the contact page. Shit I Learned from My Divorce is written by me, Trish Guys, and produced by Barry Guys. Audio editing and sound design is by Barry Guys. I would love to have you tell a friend or a family member about this podcast, and you can help me share the important concepts I cover by leaving a rating and review of Shit I Learned From My Divorce on Google Podcast or wherever you listen to your podcasts. To stay up to date on the latest from me or to contact me, visit my website, trishguys.com. That's T-R-I-S-H-G-U-I-S-E. You can also find me on Twitter and LinkedIn, at Trish Guys and on Facebook and Instagram at Trish Guys Divorce Coach. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. This has been Shit I Learned from My Divorce with me, Trish Guys, Divorce and Pre Mediation Coach. Until next time, be good to yourself and to your kids.